Welcome to the 110th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with horror novelist David Wellington, the author of many horror novels including Plague Zone and 32 Fangs. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is David Wellington. David is the author of many popular horror novels, including Monster Island, 13 Bullets, and Frostbite. He also had a fantasy trilogy published under the pen name David Chandler. David also has written for comic books with Marvel Zombies. David, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. Great to be here. Sure, sure. Well, first, I wanted to see if you could read the first three or four paragraphs of one of your new novels, Pass Fail. Absolutely. I've, I've got it right here in front of me. Uh, this is a book that I've uh, released uh, on uh, various uh, e-reader platforms. Uh, it is not available as a print book. Uh, it's only an e-book at the moment. But uh, it's doing pretty well, and I've really enjoyed writing this one, so I'm glad to share this with everybody. Uh, okay, let's start with chapter one. Right. Uh, pass fail. Jake McCartney ran a finger across the row of initials on the underside of his bedside table. They had been carved into the wood, gouged into it, then gone over with a sharpie marker. The letters were very small and toward the back of the table where he would never have seen them if he hadn't dropped his pencil and had to get down underneath the table to fish it out. His own initials repeated seven times. When had he done that? He couldn't remember it. He'd had the table since he was little, though, since before he could remember much. He smiled to himself, picked up the pencil, and started to climb back out from underneath. That was when the car hit the house. Jake smacked his head on the edge of the table, an impact that made his ears ring. Or maybe that was just the sound of metal crumpling, of the house shaking down to its foundations. He jumped up to his feet and ran out into the hall to see his mom leaning out of her own doorway, asking what had happened. Earthquake, she asked, looking terrified. Jake shook his head and hurried down the stairs. It was just after 7 o'clock on the last day of summer before his senior year of high school. At the front door, his father tried to grab his arm. Jake pushed past, shrugging an apology, and leaned out onto the porch. Flames leapt up under the ornamental cacti at the side of the house, and he jumped back in a hurry. Kiddo, Dad shouted, get back inside. But Jake had seen something through the flames, and he rushed out into the evening air. There was a car wedged into the side of the house, a bright red SUV with its front end smashed into the brick wall. Fire swarmed across its bent hood, and it had engulfed one of the tires, which melted and spat gouts of burning rubber. In the distance, Jake heard a siren and knew the fire department was on its way. So far, the flames hadn't spread to the wood trim on the side of the house. Maybe it would be okay. Maybe he should go back inside. A hand smashed against the driver's side window from the inside. The interior of the car was filled with dark smoke, and Jake couldn't really see inside, but the hand, the palm smearing across the glass, the fingers scratching wildly, the hand fell away almost as abruptly as, it, as he'd seen it appear. There was somebody in there. Jake, no, Jake, Dad shouted from the doorway, wait for the fireman. Jake wondered what he was talking about until he looked down and saw that he was running toward the car. He hadn't even thought about what he was doing. He looked up at the houses around him, the white and yellow and light blue houses that looked exactly like his own. Lights were coming on in the windows. People were crowding out under their porches to see what happened next. Nobody was moving to help him. They, would, they were just watching. 
Maybe they hadn't seen the hand. Maybe nobody had seen it but Jake. There's somebody inside, he shouted, but no one else moved. As he got close to the car, the heat grew intense and smoke bit into his nose, into the roof of his mouth. He coughed and threw an arm up over to cover his face as best he could. He reached for the handle of the car door and nearly burned his hand. It was hot enough to raise blisters. He pulled down the sleeve of his hoodie and covered his hand with it as best he could and tried again, but the handle didn't move. Either the door was locked or... No, it was wedged shut. He could see where the mangled front end was holding it closed. He tried kicking at a flap of metal that held it shut, and his shoe caught on fire. He stamped it out on the ground. Coughing into his sleeve, he looked around for anything he could use as a pry bar. The best he could find was a garden rake leaning up against the side of the house. It would have to do. He ran back to the car to try to lever open the door, but just as he arrived, the burning tire exploded in a rush of superheated air that spattered him with flaming rubber. He beat at his chest and arms with his sleeves until he was no more than smoldering, then returned to the door with the rake. There was just one piece of the wheel cowling that looked like it was pinning the door, if he could just shift it a little. The rake's handle cracked in his hands, but he kept heaving, kept pushing as the heat of the fire seared his exposed face. He could feel his eyebrows curl- curling up, could smell nothing but burning gasoline, and then, then, the cowling burnt, bent back, away from the door. Jake threw the rake away and grabbed at the door handle, ignoring the heat that seared his hand. The car door flew open and thick, oily smoke washed over him, blinding him, choking him. He pushed forward through it and reached inside the car. He couldn't see a thing, but his hands found something soft and yielding and lifeless. Maybe he was too late. Maybe the car's driver was dead, but, but it didn't matter. You couldn't, leave just, you couldn't just leave a dead person to burn up inside the car like that, could you? He tugged and pulled, and when the body resisted him, he finally realized he might still be strapped in with a seatbelt. Still not daring to breathe, he reached around and found the release button, then hauled the body out of the car and ran down the driveway to the street, away from the smoke and the flames. It was a girl. Why don't I stop there? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was probably more than you wanted. No, that that's fine. That's fine. So, um, if if the listeners haven't heard um, or haven't read or heard about your your novel Pass Fail yet, how would you describe the novel? Uh, I don't like to describe it too much. It's uh, okay. it, it's it's a tricky book. It's it's supposed to be surprising. There's a lot in it that uh, is not what it seems at first. And uh, one of the things about the book is that even the first sentence is a uh, it, it turns out to mean something completely different than what you think. Uh, by the end of the book, uh, it's about a guy who he's a senior in high school. He's done very well and, uh, he's going to be the valedictorian of his high school class. So, but the first day of school, his senior year, his, uh, guidance counselor calls him in and he says, you know, you're the smartest kid in this school. So we're going to put you in a special program. Uh, from now on, everything you do is on a pass fail basis. And if you pass all your tests, great. You're going to have a bright future ahead of you. But if you fail more than three tests this semester, I'm personally going to take you behind the school gymnasium and put a bullet in the back of your head. So, you know, it's not the typical teenage uh, high school story. <laughs> nope. Great. Well, um, well, with the with the Amazon Kindle, it's very easy now for someone to self-publish their novel or short stories. However, when you originally achieved, achieved your first success as a published writer, you had a really unique story. Uh, you started writing your novel on a website, 
Um, and again, this was well before the Kindle and ebook craze. Can you explain exactly what led you to write Monster Island and publish it online? Yeah, it was a dare. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my entire career started on a dare, which is a, I, I, I've never, uh, never really uh, gotten over the, the irony of that. Uh, I been writing it since I was six years old. I was 35 at the time, I guess. Um, and I had been trying to get published since I was a teenager and just never got anywhere. It just not, just wasn't possible. And, uh, I was just beating my head against the wall and, and I knew I was going to keep writing, but I thought, well, maybe I'll just never be a published writer. You know, I'll just have to live with that. But that was my dream. I mean, that was what I wanted when I, you know, as long as I can remember, that was what I wanted was to be a published writer. So I had a friend who had a blog, and he was tired of working on the blog. Uh, and he said, "Well, I'll give you my blog. You can write there." It's like I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a journalist. I'm not, I'm not looking to, to write nonfiction. I want to write novels. And he said, "Yeah, just write a novel, put it on my blog." Uh, and I hemmed and I hawed, and he dared me to do it. And uh, <laughs> we got together. We we, we had sushi one night uh, for dinner, and we talked about it, and. I, I can't remember what my original idea was, but he said it's got to have zombies. <laughs> and I said, you know, which is funny because it's 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 a zombie novel. There's no question about that. But it, I think it started out as like science fiction. Uh, it went through a lot of changes very early on. <laughs> but um, and, and so, what time frame out, are we talking about here? Uh, well, you know, it was at dinner that night and that was a Friday night. And I said, sure, give me six months to put something together. And he said, no, you start on Monday. So. And, and what year, uh, said, what year right I'm at, what year was this that you. Oh, 2003. This was 2003. Okay. 2003. Yeah. So I, he said, you start on Monday. So I wrote the first chapter of a zombie novel, uh, basically, you know, overnight and uh put it on on the blog and i think two or three people saw it and uh one of them i had to tell them to go look at it <laughs> so it was uh it wasn't a huge success but it was fun so i wrote the second chapter put that up two days later and i think 17 people saw that one uh by the end of the month i had however many chapters it was i can't that's like 12 chapters no 16 maybe and I had something like 40,000 people reading it. Uh, it was crazy. I was writing it as fast as people were reading it. And I just had never done anything like that before. So you were, you were, you were truly, you know, uh, you were truly serializing it, meaning you were writing it as people were reading it and putting it up. Yeah, absolutely. I would write a chapter the night before, put it on the blog, and people would read it the next day and comment on it, uh, which was a, actually it was a huge thing was the commenting. And I feel like I learned so much about writing because I had this instant feedback. I just had people telling me exactly what worked and what didn't work, uh, whether they hated it or they loved it. Uh, there were characters who I thought were minor characters who would just be in one scene. But the response was so incredible that I, they became major characters. They became the focus of the book. <laughs> It's, it's a, you know, I look back and I'm like, I, I, I imagine trying to write a novel like that now. And, and I just, I would pull my hair out. It was so <laughs> incredibly weird. It's, I mean, it's the, totally the wrong way to write a book. 
the, you, you, when you write a book, you need to know everything in advance. You need to sit down and outline. You need to know how it's going to end. You need to know who the characters are. But that book, it was just so much fun and just so exciting. And it was a ton of hard work because I was just working on that website every day. How, how, day often, how often were you updating it? Three times a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, and I, people ask me all the time about serialization and they're like, well, I can put a chapter up every month or two. And I'm like, no, no, you can't. <laughs> people aren't going to come back after two months, uh, to read another chapter. You have to keep, uh, publishing all the time to keep people's interest. Uh, and you know, but I was just so on fire with just the, this excitement and just the, the fun of it, that that was fine. I was totally willing to devote my life to this project for five months. And, 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 were, were, and were, were, um, were you working a day job at the time or, or were you solely working on this? Uh, I had a day job. I wouldn't say I was working at it. <laughs> uh, it was because I was doing this. I was literally doing this at my job and I was lucky that my boss was a friend of mine and, didn't really take the job seriously either. And so <laughs> I didn't get fired. Uh, he complained a little bit that I had, wasn't producing. I was working at the, at the United Nations, actually. It was, uh, we were doing a library project. Uh, I was also working at the time about getting my master's in library science. So it was, <laughs> it was a busy year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can, I can say. So, so do you, do you, do you remember any of the specific comments or, or kind of the general theme you, that people would, would leave you in terms of the feedback? Well, 99% of the comments were, I love this, or this is great, what's next? Or, <laughs> you know, something like that, uh, which was great because that's encouragement. And any writer needs encouragement, especially when you're just starting out. You're so unsure of yourself. You, just, you don't know if anyone's going to like what you're writing. You don't know if it makes sense. Um, some of the comments were people guessing at plot developments that were about to happen, right. which was frustrating because they always got it right. <laughs> <laughs> they always do. So, uh, when I had some big twist that I was sure was going to shock everybody that some commenter would come up with, Oh yeah, he, it turns out he's actually a zombie. And I was like, Oh no, what am I going to do? <laughs> and I, I would have to actually go with the opposite twist, you know, no, the guy's not a zombie, even though you thought he was, you know, and, and, uh, explain it somehow. Sure. <laughs> Which, so, so were, were you, you know, do, did you do during this five month process, did you do anything proactive in terms of like, you know, shooting an email to some reporter or, or some blogger and say, Hey, look what's going on over here. Or was it totally organic word of mouth? Um, there was, uh, well, it's, it's actually kind of a hard question to answer. I didn't do much. Uh, my friend who owned the blog, right. It was still in his name. Uh, he got excited about the project too. And he started doing weird stuff. We ran contests and, uh, had, uh, there was a, the first contest was, uh, anybody who could bring us 200 hits in a day, uh, 200 new readers essentially, uh, would get to be in the book. They got their name and their likeness in the book and we got, two, and it turned out two people won at the same time. It was simultaneous. Two guys got the, the, you know, the 200 readers in a single day. And so the two of them appear in the book as guys who get eaten by zombies and it's <laughs> one chapter. You could cut that chapter out of the book entirely and nobody would notice, but I still get people 
you know, writing me and saying, oh, my God, that was my favorite chapter with those two guys, you know, <laughs> you know, that that really summed up the zombie experience. I was like, man, I wrote that as, you know, that was promotional. Right. <laughs> it's just, you know, that was marketing. That's, that's uh, pretty funny. Love that scene. And, and the two guys who I emailed the guys who who uh, who won and I said, listen, I can, you know, this is a pretty gruesome novel if you want you know, you tell me how much gore you're comfortable and with both, and both of them said, make it bloody, make it <laughs> disgusting. So it really is. It's the most disgusting chapter in the entire book. Wow. So, so you mentioned earlier the, this whole experience. So a sushi, a sushi dinner on Friday night and your friend said, you know, you're going to start on Monday and we're going to post it. And, and then a month later you had 40,000 readers. I mean, can you remember back? I mean, when you realized that you were, gaining a readership of, of 40,000 people after, <clears throat> in your words, writing from the age of six to the age of 35 without much success um, or much outward success in terms of publication. Well, what did that feel like to you? You know, it just, it was all happening so fast. Uh, it didn't feel like success. It felt like fun. It felt like, uh, I was excited, you know, I was excited all the time. And, uh, honestly, when I got the book deal, uh, that was a very strange thing. I, uh, it, uh, it happened because, uh, Mark Fraunfelder, who was one of the editors at, uh, boingboing.com, uh, read the book and liked it. And so he called his publisher and said, oh, you might want to check this out. It's interesting, you know, from a public publishing perspective. This guy is doing this online, and he doesn't have a publisher. So that publisher said, oh, yeah, that is interesting. I'll take a look. And the next day, he emailed me and said, can I buy your book? Wow. Um, yeah. And had well, you, you finished know, at that point? No. <laughs> well, I had finished the first book, but he wanted three. Oh, okay. And I had already decided I was going to write three books, so that wasn't a problem. But I was, I would say, halfway through the second book, uh, serializing it the same way. The, all, all three of those books were serialized, you know, in real time, essentially. Right. right. Uh, and, and I said, "Well, I've got a book and a half. I can, I, you know." He said, "No, I want, th- I want all three books. I don't care what the third one is." You know, he's <laughs> like, "Sight unseen, I'll just take it." If you have forty thousand people hanging on your every word, that's a book I want to publish. And you know, this guy was. He was taking a huge chance, especially back then. Nobody had any idea that this sort of thing worked. Right. Uh, and there were a lot of signs it wouldn't work. You know, just because something is famous on the internet doesn't, and, you know, I use famous advisedly, uh, but just something is popular on the internet does not mean it's going to work in the real world. Uh, but this guy, this, editor, this publisher, really nice guy, John Oakes, just said, yeah, I believe in it. Why not? Why not take a chance? Why not, you know, just. And, and he didn't, he didn't have he didn't have a problem the fact that the three books were serialized and were out there uh, online. No, no, not at all. I you know I've met a little resistance for that because I kept serializing for quite a while, and there, uh, long after the zombie books were done, I, I serialized some more books. Uh, I've met a little resistance from that since, and actually uh, more recently. But at the time, he was like, "It's free advertising, you know, it's on the internet." And, and he knew that nobody wants to click through 60 or 100 web pages to read a book. Uh, they, they want it all at once. Right, they, right. they want something to just read, like an e-book or a published book, you know, a paper book, which right. at the time was the, was the 
real only real option. So, um, so is so is that know. original serialization version of Monster Island? Is it still out there online and available? Oh yeah, it's on my website, davidwellington.net. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, all the serials are still there. There's been, you know, it's so weird because you know what's fascinating is you put something for free on the internet and then people want you to support it and spend you know your time and energy uh, making their life more convenient because you know it's free. Right. So obviously, you know, <laughs> it should be perfect. Uh, there, there was uh, at one point one of the serials was, uh, and I didn't, I didn't think anybody was still reading these things. These are all ten years old now. Right. Uh, and on the internet, that's you know, they, they, it's the age of the dinosaurs. Uh, but I, I get email all the time, and somebody said, "Well, there's a problem with page thirty-four of, of uh, Monster, <laughs> Monster." Oh Nation. God. <laughs> And I can't believe you wouldn't keep your website up and running properly. And I was like, are you kidding? I wrote that book 10 years ago. I've got like 12 books since then. <laughs> uh, you know, but I, ha- I went back and I looked and yeah, there was a problem. The files had gotten corrupted. So, you know, I got those fixed. <laughs> uh, well, well, yeah, it is amazing. That, that's funny. Well, in previous interviews, you've mentioned that before you started writing Monster Island on on the website, and you mentioned it earlier as well with us that that you had written a lot of novels that had never been published, and that you had been writing since you age six. Um, I'm curious uh, what kept you going back because I'm sure you're very aware. Lots of people say I'm going to write a novel, and then they sit down and they write sixty or seventy pages, and a lot of those people are really, really surprised when those 60 or 70 pages of their first novel turn out to be pretty bad and they just give up. Um, but obviously you didn't give up. You kept writing. What, what, what kept you going back to the keyboard? Uh, you know, I guess some kind of neurological damage. Uh, I must've gotten <laughs> hit in the head when I was a kid or something. I now I honestly, uh, you know, I, I just love it. I love telling stories. It's, uh, it's something, you know, I, I, yeah, I get people emailing me all the time. You know, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. I said, well, okay, what have you written? You know, what, what, what are you working on? And they're like, well, no, I need your advice on how to get started to be a writer. Right. Well, you know, you, you have a word processor on your computer. <laughs> you, you open that up and there's a blank screen there and, and the keys in front of you on the keyboard, you press those. That's how you become a writer. I, I, I'm being mean. I, I, right. I try to be much more nice in the emails, but <laughs> sure, uh, sure. You know, if you want to be a writer, you write. You don't yeah. talk about it. Uh, that's harsh. That's harsh because talking about it does help. I've been in a lot of great writing workshops. I've, you know, I've got a great writing group right now. Uh, we meet like twice a month and read each other's stuff, and, and then we go have dinner. Uh, and it's mostly about going to have dinner. But you right. know, it's right. it's a uh, that it's that camaraderie is great too. Sure. Uh, knowing there are other people out there doing the same thing, and then and they're all, everybody has the same problems, you know. And I write four books a year, and people are like, "That's crazy! What you know? How do you must have just some drive inside of you?" I was like, "No, I open up the word processor and I stare at it for hours, right? And right. I think, God, what the hell am I going to do? Oh my <laughs> God, I have to write a book. I have to write another book. What am I going to do? And then an idea comes to me and voila you know i just start going sure uh but that's the thing it's like if you you, nobody should want to be a writer people should want to tell a particular story 
That is the main thing. If you have a story in your head that you need to tell, and a novel is the best way to tell that story, because it often isn't, most people will be better off writing screenplays, probably. There's a lot more money in it, for one thing. Right. But, uh, you know, if you have to tell that story, you're going to tell it. And maybe you do it terribly. When I say I've got 20 books on my hard drive, everybody says, oh, my God, let us see those books. I really want to read that book. I'm like, no, you don't. You honestly <laughs> do not want to read this book. And I don't want you reading it because you'll lose all respect for me. This is a book I wrote when I was 12, you know. But I, 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 do, I, do, I do think it's interesting because I think that, you know, um, I hear what you're saying. I mean, you know, you get the emails people send you and, and you tell them, like, open up your word processor. But, but I, I do think it's interesting because I think that, you know, again, going back to this example, I think there are a lot of people who, um, you know, have that desire to write, but they, they, they don't have what it takes to, to write 20 bad novels before they write a good one. And I'm just curious, yeah. I mean, you know, with, with yourself, what, what kind of kept you going back, even if you wrote a novel that, you know, maybe at the time, you know, maybe you're looking back in hindsight, knowing it's bad. I don't know if you knew it was bad at the time, but you know, you kept going. I'm just curious. Oh, I knew it was bad. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I knew I, that, you know, I mean, that's what got me started writing was I thought I could do better uh, yeah. than everybody else. Um, I, but, I mean, were you, were, were you, were you telling yourself that, that you're like, you know, this is the process. I got to write some bad stuff before I can write something good. Oh no, no, no. I thought I was brilliant. You know, I, I, uh, I thought I was brilliant and I couldn't figure out why my novel sucked. Okay. Um, you know, it was, uh, I read a lot of really terrible science fiction novels when I was a kid, just dreadful stuff and thought, well, you know, I could do better than this. So, and I, and, and, you know, I want to do better than this. I, this is, you know, the idea, the central idea of this book is great, but the writer couldn't write his way out of a paper bag. So I would, I'd say, well, I want to write a good novel with that idea, uh, which of course is stealing somebody else's idea. And that's very wrong. Don't ever do that. that kids. But, um, so, yeah, I would just sit down and I would say, well, how would I write this book to make it better? Which meant there were a lot more spaceships and a lot more, you know, space battles and laser guns. Um, it was a lot more like Star Wars. But, uh, you know, when you're a kid, that's what you think is cool. And that's what you write. You should always write what you think is cool because that's what other people will think is cool. And that's what works. Sure. Um, well, were you also were writing short questions? stories? Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. It's okay. It's okay. The real question you're asking is why did I stick with it? Uh, and that's, it's just, I'm avoiding that question because it's so hard <laughs> to answer. Uh, I stuck with it cause I didn't have anything better to do. I don't know. I stuck with it because I loved telling stories. I stuck with it because every once in a while in a hundred terrible pages that I will never show another human being, there'd be one sentence that was actually kind of cool or there'd be one image that I just couldn't get out of my head. Um, yeah, it's it was incredibly discouraging. I had people telling me to stop all the time. I had people saying, you need to actually like get a job. You need to support yourself somehow, and you're not going to do it with this crappy writing. Um, but I, it just, I don't know, it was in me. It really was. I It's very hard to describe, but I just, I never not, I never, you know, I never didn't want to write. I, I, I never got reached a point where I was fed up and didn't want to do it anymore. Sure. What, 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 
Yeah. I, I should have probably asked this at the beginning. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, you said you started when you were six. Do you remember, you know, that first uh, desire or, or, or what kind of drove you to say, you know, I have a story and I'm going to sit down and write it. Do you, do you remember that? Yep. The book was called, uh, the book was called Santa Claus versus the Smurfs. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was a deep philosophical novel. There was a lot of psychodrama and yeah, just darkness. Like <laughs> now I had a bunch of Smurf dolls, you know, action figures, whatever you want to call them. They were, they weren't very actiony for action figure. Uh, I had way too many of them and would just, I would arrange them in these scenes, these incredibly elaborate scenes that would take me all day. Cause I was a kid and I didn't have a job. So I had plenty of free time. And, uh, you know, and I would tell myself stories about these Smurfs and what they were doing in Smurf town or whatever, uh, mushroom village. And I decided that I was going to write it down. And, uh, Somebody had told me that, you know, you should throw something in commercial in there uh, at the age of six. <laughs> so uh, I said, well, Santa Claus. Everybody likes Santa Claus. So the story was that the Smurfs, you know, discovered Santa Claus up there at the North Pole. And he was uh, enslaving all these, like, small people. So they had to rescue the elves. And, and then eventually they found out that Santa Claus was a nice guy. Uh, big shocker. I know. That was the twist ending. Santa Claus was not the villain. <laughs> Gotcha. So along the way, were you also writing short stories or have you always gravitated more to novels? I've always written short stories. There were, uh, I had a time in college when I realized I didn't know how to write a novel. Uh, that was after writing 20 of them. And uh, so I started writing short stories because I thought that that would teach me how to write novels. I, I, a lot of the decisions I've made in my writing career have just not made any sense in hindsight. Um, <laughs> But uh, when I was in graduate school, I, I got an MFA in creative writing, which, you know, yay for me, but didn't really help much. Uh, it was, uh, but it was great. The actually, my my teacher in, in, in at my MFA program actually said, "I don't know what I'm doing with you guys. I, you know, I'm not teaching you how to write books because nobody can teach you how to do that," which is kind of true. Uh, but what I can do is give you two years where you don't have to do anything except write. <laughs> and so I took her at her word and I just wrote, I would go to my classes and nod politely and talk about, you know, why Paul Oster or Ernest Hemingway was the greatest writer ever lived. And then I would go home and I would stay up all night writing short stories about robots and spaceships and stuff. Uh, I would, was writing about 5,000 words a day at that point on top of all my classes, uh, because I was young and had energy. Uh, and, uh, that, that was all short stories. Um, short stories are so different from novels and everybody says that nobody believes you when you say it. Uh, it's, and it's fascinating and short stories have turned into these little mini novels. And I, it, it's strange because a really good short story and I'm thinking, I'm going way back. I'm talking like the monkey's paw or the lady and the tiger, you know, right. Uh, the most dangerous game. Really good short story is like getting punched in the face. Whereas, you know, a really good novel is being suckered into a horrible con game. 
And so it's a completely different experience reading them, which means that everything about writing them has to be different too. And what I have discovered from writing, I don't know, hundreds of short stories is that I don't know how to write short stories, but I'm pretty good at novels. Interesting. So in this MFA program and this experience that you just described, were you turning in those uh, short stories about robots or were you writing completely different, more literary type stuff for your class assignments? Uh, I, again, I made a horrible mistake uh, when I was younger because I was dumb. And I applied to and got into a creative writing program uh, for literary fiction. Uh, I did not know that there was something like Clarion, which is the, the science fiction uh, writing workshop. Um, I didn't know that you could like find professors who actually liked science fiction and, and write for them. I thought that you know all, all creative writing programs were the same. So I got into this one and... The first day, I think I turned in a science fiction story, and the teacher and all the other students just looked at me like, I, like, I think you might be in the wrong room. You know, <laughs> the, 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 nobody's divorced in this story. Nobody's going through longing over a lost child. Nobody's, you know, exploring the deeper mysteries of being and suffering. And I was like, no, it's about a robot. Uh, so I stopped doing that. I stopped bringing the robot stories to those classes. Uh, and I, I wrote, and I in fact wrote a novel length literary novel, uh, for my thesis and got my degree and no, no one will ever see that book. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not something I'm proud of. I wrote it specifically for the, the, my thesis advisor, uh, I wrote it in the style that he wrote because that's what he wanted to see. And I wrote it in, uh, you know, to the standards of my classes. And it was soul crushing uh, to realize that you even could do that. I didn't think you could write a book, you know, on spec like that. You know, just, not, not on spec, but to someone right, else's right. specification. Uh, and uh, I didn't know you could do that, but I found, found it inside me dug down deep and found the ability to just ignore every impulse and write something I hated. Uh, <laughs> so I'm curious, I mean, with, with your classmates, did you stay in touch with any of them and have any of them achieved the success that you've, that you have? Uh, no, I didn't stay in touch with them. And I, I don't know. I don't think any of them have achieved, uh, any real fame, but, uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily know. I don't read a lot of literary fiction, so I, sure. they might be out there doing things. They might, they might be writing, writing under pseudonyms. Right. And falling out of contact with them was not – it wasn't that like I disliked them. They sure, were all sure. really cool people. Yeah, yeah. And you can learn, you can learn an enormous amount about writing uh, by writing something you don't want to write. Uh, so it was not an altogether wasted experience. Uh, there was a guy there. He wrote some of the most beautiful sentences I've ever read. And he was writing stories about uh, guys who were working uh, in logging camps. They were cutting down trees. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole story. The guy was cutting down trees and thinking about, you know, just what that meant in the greater right. philosophical world. Mm -hmm. and, and you wouldn't think it, but this you couldn't stop reading those things. Sure, I mean, sure. Yeah, you know, the, the way he wrote about this stuff, it was just beautiful, just stunning. Every sentence, a little marvel. And I talked to him and, and, and about how he worked and what he wrote. And I was like, that, that's nothing like what I do. It's, it, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like the difference between, uh, 
And I always say that the difference between genre fiction and literary fiction is like the difference between uh, sculpture and ballet. Uh, they're both about shapes in space, but they're such completely different disciplines that it's not even, you shouldn't even call them the same art form. Sure. Um, you know, there are exceptions to that. There are some writers who can bridge that gap, and I'm just in awe of those people. Right, you know, just, right. It, they amaze me, and every single time, I'm like, how do you do that? It's a magic trick uh, <laughs> that I've never been able to figure out. But, um, yeah, but so there were some great writers in that program, uh, really cool people, and just friendly and nice and warm and wanted to help me out. Some of them actually, you know, my second year, some of them actually were like, I hear you write science fiction. Don't tell anybody, but I do too. And, <laughs> and you know, we can share our stories back and forth. Uh, but yeah, it, it's tough to stay in touch with people from school after a while. You know, everybody just goes so far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in touch with Facebook, but I, I don't, that's not the same thing. Sure, sure. Well, well, given all the writing that you've done and the success that you've achieved to to date with your novels being published, what what advice would you give someone listening that may just be starting out on their own writing journey, um, and they'd like to have uh, their novels published and and obviously write? What what advice would you offer them that you haven't mentioned yet? Uh, don't be scared of anything you hear on a podcast <laughs> or you know on online or reading in a book. Uh, anybody who talks about writing is either a going to tell you exactly what you want to hear, which is useless. They're going to tell you, yeah, you can do it too, you know, and here's how, and here's the fifteen easy steps to writing a novel. That's useless. Uh, but anybody who tells you don't even try it, kid, you're not going to make it. That's useless too, because maybe you will. And they don't know. I don't know. Anybody listening to this podcast right now, if you're a writer, just keep writing, uh, have fun with it. Don't ever let it become a job or a chore because that'll just kill your interest in it and you'll stop doing it. Uh, write what's cool to you. Write what's fun for you. If you have fun working on the book, people will have fun reading it. Um, more practical advice is know how a book is going to end before you start writing the first word. Uh, I know there are a lot of writers out there, and there are a lot of books on writing that tell you create a character and then ask that character what they want to do today and see how their life goes. And that is great if you're Stephen King. Because Stephen King has an incredible instinct for a story. He knows how to take that, take some random character, and get the best story of their life out of them. Uh, writers starting out don't always have that instinct. So the best, deal is, best idea is to think of how the book ends. Uh, think about who is there at the ending of the book. Those are your characters. Uh, think about what they sacrificed to get there. That's your, you know, that's your emotional arc. Think about, you know, how, what, what route did they drive to get to the ending of your book? And that's your plot. So if you know exactly how the book ends, the, everything else is just filling in the blanks. It's, it's, it's typing. And that makes it so much easier. Interesting. I mean, you, you say that you, you know how the book is going to end. Do you also, um, do you also do extensive outlining? Uh, 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 in terms of the entire story flow yourself? 
Yeah, well, I used to do that uh, because I, when people say outline, they, they, they're thinking something written down. And I used to write things down, and I used to do the index card thing where you put each scene on an index card and you can shuffle them around and so on. Uh, I don't do that anymore. It's all in my head now. Uh, but that's just practice. Uh, sure. Keeping a whole book organized in your head takes a lot of practice. If if you need to write things down on index cards and put them on a bulletin board, if you need to put post-it notes on every surface in your house, uh, reminding you that oh yeah, there was a gun in that scene, and oh yeah, you know you have to explain how the how the aliens you know just disappeared. Uh, you do that. You just do that. Um, anything you can do to organize is worth it. The more organization you do, the more outlining and outlining doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be like a 50 page document of every scene. It can just be a quick breakdown. Sure. But you know, the, the more of it you do, the, the, the better the final product, I think. Gotcha. Well, you had a fantasy trilogy published under a pen name, David Chandler. Are you planning to write more fantasy novels? I'd love to, if someone wants to buy them. <laughs> um, it was they, that was not a particularly successful trilogy. Uh, it uh, it came and it went, which is sad, but uh, it's it's life, you know. Um, sure. I'm a, I guess I'm a horror writer. That's what everybody keeps telling me. Right. I don't I don't like. I don't, I don't like to be put in a box. I don't like to be told what to write. Sure. Uh, but people like my horror novels and the fantasy novels were less, were less successful. Although I do get a lot of, I get a lot of great encouragement about them. I get the people who do read them seem to really, really like them. It's just actually, you know, finding them right. uh, in the store. Right. The hard part. Right. Well, the novel that you read from at the beginning of the podcast is titled pass fail and you recently published that novel along with two others as, as ebook originals. Why did you decide to do that, and what has that experience been like for you? Uh, I decided to do it because the future is totally uncertain for publishing. It is a very strange time. Nobody knows what's going to happen uh, with all the bookstores closing down. You know, I mean, basically every bookstore except Barnes and Noble is gone. All the chains. There are a lot of great independent bookstores, and I will give a total shout-out to all the independent bookstores out there. There are so many great independents all over the country, and they do great work, and they're wonderful people. Uh, but it's hard to sell to them because you're selling to 500 different people. Uh, when you can sell a book to Barnes & Noble, you can get that book into the hands of people all over the country with one sale. Um so it's becoming incredibly hard uh, for paper books to get distributed properly and to get into the right hands. The, it's a weird thing because the right now the, the top level of writers, the best sellers, the George R. R. Martins and Stephen Kings, are selling more books than ever. Uh, people are reading more. People are reading a lot more than they used to, even 10, 15 years ago. Uh, but because the channels of distribution are closing up, the mid-list people like me and the people just starting out and struggling and the small press people are just, we're having a really hard time of it just because we can't get the books to the people who want to read them. Right. Uh, ebook solves that problem. Putting something out as an ebook solves that problem. There is no distribution cost for an ebook or it's minimal. Uh, Amazon, Barnes Noble with the Nook, uh, you know, there are 
a couple independent ebook company distributors at this point. It's it's amazing the reach you can get, and it's a weird, wild, woolly new landscape where nobody knows what they're doing, and you know everybody is trying something new and creative, and that's fun. It really does feel like when I back when I was serializing the books, it's it's you know we're making it up as we go along as we go along, but it's allowing me to get these books out to people who otherwise probably wouldn't ever see them. And so that is a, you know, it's an experiment, uh, and it's working, which is great. I love an experiment that works. Um, you know, after a while you stop calling that an experiment. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, it's, yeah. After, after the experimental phase, it becomes how I make my living phase, sure. uh, which would be great. I mean, I, I personally, I love paper books. I love holding a book in my hands. I love the smell of books, and the, the look of the type on the page and knowing how many pages left there are and everything tactile about a book. But eBooks are so convenient. I, yeah. I live in New York City, so I'm riding the subway all the time. Uh, that's how we get around in New York. We don't have cars. So, cause we're weird. Uh, but we, uh, but I, I'm on the, on the subway for an hour a day and, there is nothing to do. You can't even look at other people on the subway because they get angry. So <laughs> you, I have my phone with me all the time. And it turns out I can read a book on my phone. It's problem solved. A whole dead part of my life, that, one, you know, that hour a day on the subway used to be the most boring, deadly part of my life. Now it is, I finally have a chance to read more books. Sure. You know, I, it, it's great. It's so. Wonderful. So, are, are are you planning on publishing any more ebook originals? Absolutely. As long as there are no follow up questions and you don't want any details, I can say yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. To, there to will be, be announced. More, yes, there will be more ebooks. Uh, I don't have any titles yet. I don't have any uh, confirmed things yet, but I'm going to do it. Um, it's a lot of work. Because, you know, I'm, I'm doing all the work that the publisher would be doing. Uh, sure, sure. I'm doing the proofreading, which turned out to be a problem because uh, it turns out I'm not very good at proofreading. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been getting a lot of comments, unfortunately, about typos in the ebooks, yeah. and it hurts. It really hurts because I, I pride myself on being a clean writer and just, oh, it's yeah. so frustrating. But, um, I'll get better at that, and I'll I actually I'll get somebody else to proofread the books. That's the that's the solution. Sure. So you, um, so you mentioned. But, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say yes. There will be more ebooks. They're forthcoming. So stay tuned. So, yeah. Um, you you mentioned reading on your phone. What what are some books or authors that you've read in the past year or two that made an impact on you and that you would recommend? My favorite new discovery is a guy named Felix Gilman. G-I-L-M-A-N. The best... He wrote a couple books. uh, What's the first one? The first one is called Thunderer. And then Gears of the City. And those are just beautiful books. They are... I don't know how to describe them. They're they're not genre books in the sense that you can say, oh, it's steampunk or it's, you know, military science fiction. It's neither of those things at all. Uh, But they're just these beautiful little fantasy books set in this fantasy city that is not a medieval fantasy city. Yay. Um, and then now he's working on this series called the half made world, which is this sort of steampunk Western 
is the best way to describe it. And it's not a very good way to describe it. Uh, but they're brilliant. Oh my God. I just love these books. His characters are just so rich and the world he creates is awesome. Uh, so Felix Gilman is great. I discovered him entirely through eBooks and love his books. Uh, what am I reading right now? I'm actually reading a, a nonfiction book right now on, on my phone uh, called the, the, the Disappearing Spoon by Sam Keen, which is a, it's a, a popular science book. It's about the, the periodic table of the elements and how it was discovered, which sounds – well, you can decide for yourself how that sounds. It's fascinating. It is just – the story is just incredible. Great, great. Well, what are you working on now? Can you talk about it, what you're writing? Uh, well, I can tell you what I'm writing and what I'm publishing. So, okay. Because I, there's a year, about a year lag between when I write a book now and when it gets published. So what I'm publishing right now, the next thing up is going to be a thriller novel, uh, although it's, got, it's, it's a, thrill, a horror thriller, and it's a, it's a spy book like the kind my dad used to write, but then all of a sudden the horror elements show up and it's called Chimera. It's out in July. You can pre-order it now on your favorite website and it is huge and sprawling and exciting and suspenseful. And the main character is the most sympathetic, relatable character I've ever written in my life. He is a soldier, uh, an army soldier who went to Afghanistan and got his arm blown off. So he's an amputee, but then he gets a replacement robotic arm, uh, one of the new prosthetics that are just so amazing, and gets sucked back into this world of espionage. And it, it's, uh, but I just love this guy. I mean, it, it, the book is real love letter uh, for me. Uh, love letter is the wrong term because this is going to sound weird, but it's just it's a respect letter. Uh, having seen the people come back from Iraq and Afghanistan, the, these people, these kids, because they were teenagers, most of them, went over there, did an impossible job. I That would have killed me outright. I would not have been able to survive over there, I know. And they come back, and they don't complain. They really don't complain. We gave them a just a, pardon me, but a crappy job mm-hmm. to go do over there. Sure. They came back and they don't complain and they, frankly, they, they don't, they don't mind. They don't say, Oh, that was a waste of time. You know, I might say that was a waste of time, but you will never find a soldier who will say, yeah, I wasted my time in Iraq. Uh, I wasted my time in Afghanistan. They don't say that because sure. they were doing, they were doing their job and they did it to the best of their ability in impossible circumstances. So just the immense respect I have for these, these kids, these people, these men, these women, uh, who are coming back, you know, they don't care about the politics, man. They're just, they're just so inspiring. And so I really wanted to write a book about one of these guys. And so I did, and it's called Chimera. It is fun. It's exciting. It's a spy book, but it's also, you know, just a thank you. It's a thank you letter. That's great. Who's publishing that? That is Harper Collins. Uh, it's going to be a hardback out in July. They can be pre-ordered right now. Great. And what else are you working on? Oh, right. You asked what I was working on right now. So right now I'm writing another horror novel. Uh, I've written a couple of them uh, in the last six months. Uh, and, but this one is different. It's going to be really interesting. It's, uh, it's not as uh, violent as my previous books. I was kind of – I was thinking about guns. And I was thinking about 
you know, we talk about uh, violence in the media uh, and how that's affecting people. I thought, well, how could I write one of my books with no guns in it? And I just thought, you know, I can't. That's what I'm known for. I'm monsters and guns. And, and uh, so I sat down and I said, well, there's going to be a good, there, there's a gun in this book. This idea I have, there's a gun in this book, but it doesn't necessarily have to be all about the guns. It doesn't have to be about, you know, violence all the time. So, but how do you write a horror novel with no violence in it? Well, there's plenty of violence. Okay. I'm selling this thing horribly. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a book about demons is what it is. It's about demonic possession. And so guns are not as useful as you would think because you can't shoot something that's immaterial. So it's about how do you convince the demon to leave its host uh, when it doesn't want to? And how, you know, how do you cope with having these demons in your head? And it's very psychological, but it's going to, it keeps the pace, the pacing and just the suspense of my books uh, just fine. And it's been a real discovery because it's, I, I, you know, I, I use violence all the time in my books. I use it to keep things moving. And to find other ways to keep things moving is just really interesting. It's been a challenge. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with David Wellington. His latest books available as ebook originals are Past Fell, Rivals, and Plague Zone. And as he mentioned earlier, his his newest book will be published in July. Chimera, did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, close enough. Yep. It's kind of okay. So 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 check out his his latest books, which are ebook originals. Uh, you can also check out his website at davidwellington.net, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. David, thanks for doing this interview. Hey, thanks so much, Jeff. I really had fun. Sure, I did too. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.